Peter and I have been dear friends for about 34, 35 years. We've even had vacations together and we're still friends. <laughs> That's the acid test. I never tire of hearing him. In fact, I'm with my favorite, just my favorite preachers. Nobody I'd rather hear than Peter and Bob and John and uh, Carol, of course. It's just real good to be here. I have been thinking much about the presence of God. I want to speak to a facet that I fear much of the body of Christ is missing. When we mention the presence of God, we think of high hours, when the bells are ringing, when the feathers are floating, when the gold is coming, when there's deep and high feelings, and all of these are valid. But if in the midst of these we miss what I'm about to mention, we will miss much of what it means to be his child. I can't recall exactly where it is, I hadn't intended to mention it, but in the Old Testament, uh, somewhere in the life of Moses, there is a, a thing that jumps out on, uh, off the page. In the thick darkness where God was. A great many of the people to whom we're preaching today are, are in trouble. You are troubled. I'm, I'm not trying to speak a word of faith to you, but it's just a fact. You're bothered. You're walking through difficult times. Some of you getting old and don't like it. Well, you might as well. It's inevitable. You, you ought to kind of joke about it every once in a while. I read the other day where a fellow said, to, you know, I've had a round of prostate trouble and my eyes give me trouble. I can hardly see. I can't hear very well. My knees hurt, my hips hurt. What doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> and he said, my legs don't work too well and my arms and hands don't coordinate, but praise God, I've still got my driver's license. All three of us, Bob and Peter and myself, live in Florida. Some of you are from Florida. It's affectionately known as God's waiting room. <laughs> However, we're not waiting. We're working. I intend to let up when I'm 93. I don't intend to let up by then. If I let up, it'll be somebody letting me down. I just figured out, fellas, John's the younger one among us, but Peter and Bob and I are 225 years old. That's scary. I was in the presence of God twice in my life, a deeper, more productive, moment than those two, I really do not expect to have 
on this earth again. The first was the morning of January 23rd, 2001, when I bid goodbye to my wife of 47 and a half years. I experienced the level of the presence of God such as I had never experienced. Some of you have experienced loss or faced with a situation where the fact is, if you know anything about football, it's fourth and long with seven seconds left. You understand that? I experienced it again on the 15th of February, 2004, when I bade goodbye again to my mate of 21 months. I'm not telling you that for any other reason than to tell you that some of the greatest, deepest, richest results from the presence of God were in the deepest darkness I ever experienced. Now if I vote, it's, it's for those high moments, those moments when there is a visible indication of the presence of God. But I think I'd have to tell you that I've learned more in a few minutes of darkness in his presence than I have in days and years of delight. So I want to speak to those who are being shaken, who are in a twilight zone you don't quite understand. You're in some pain, you're faced with a situation you would never have chosen. You're just in a parenthesis. Now, I'm willing to change my subject if it isn't appropriate. So I need to ask you, how many of you in the past year, two, three, four, five, right now, have experienced any ambushes, nudges, prods, shoves, uh, shakings, unexpected things? Uh, how many of you? Raise your hand. Oh, okay. Good. Now, let me talk just a minute to those who didn't raise your hand. I think there were about 14. God does love you. You're on his list and he'll get to you as quickly as he can. So you're sitting there thinking, he doesn't have anything to say with me, I'm doing fine. Road straight, no side roads going straight down the freeway of life, never have to make a left turn, loaf of bread under each arm, no uh, all honey, no bees, no work all ease. Let me ask you, I, I think we could get Jim to provide you a free copy of this message, and you park it, whether it's in a CD player or a tape player, uh, you, you park it there real quick, because one of these days, a morning is going to break, and you're going to understand what I'm saying. Okay? <clears throat> Remarkable chapter, the twelfth of Hebrews. I ought to read it all. I read it again this morning. And uh, it's, it's really, really rich. I want to zero in on the last several verses, beginning with verse 25. And this is what he says. See to it 
Now that's, that means listen up. Stop and pay attention. Behold. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. I've never seen that verse on a refrigerator door. God says, I'm going to shake this outfit, and everything is going to be involved in the shaking. However, when the mother of all shakings come, he, say, he comes, he says, once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, so that, which, so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. I'm going to stop there a little bit and investigate with you the shaking. God has shaken the earth, and when he has, it is always memorable. He has shaken it in the days of the giving of the law. There was an earthquake, there was a shaking on the mountain as if God were underlining and, and uh, making clear the seriousness of what he was saying. God's voice always shakes what he speaks about. There is a shaking. He speaks of his voice, troubling the waters, stripping the trees bare. God is speaking. And here God warns, I'm going to speak once more. Once more indicating that this time the difference in the shaking will be it will culminate in the removing of everything that can be shaken. Now, every passage of Scripture like this that has, has three implications. One, historical. There's been a shaking at, at every stage of history. And then there is the prophetic uh, implication. Uh, there's going to be great shakings. But there is a shaking right now. Have you noticed? A political shaking. Shaking. An educational shaking. A, uh, a shaking in commerce and economy a shaking in personal lives. I don't know whether it's that I'm getting old, which I am, but more people I know are in trouble. Unexpected trouble, the fall of one of the brightest stars in the sky of, of modern Christianity last week. I know and love Ted Haggard. It hit me. I was sick, physically sick for hours. There's a shaking going on. And I don't have good news for you if you're expecting it to let up. In fact, I'm prepared to tell you if you'll ask how serious it's going to get. You want to ask me? Okay, good. Didn't want to tell you if you didn't want to know. It is going to get so serious 
that God's people are going to have to trust God. It's how bad it's going to get. Trust God. God doesn't like you trust the government for your old age. He doesn't like you trusting human systems. God is rather sensitive about your trusting anybody aside from Him. And if you're prone to trust in other things aside from Him, and our system has filled us with those, God is forced to do the best thing He can do, loving you as He does, and that is remove their credibility so you won't trust them. So what, what are you fussing about? When the stock goes down, I noticed nobody's complaining about it being past 12,000, New York Stock Exchange. But what if it went to 6,000 tomorrow? Oh, God's people would moan, they'd accuse the devil. Let me tell you, folks, there is sitting on the throne of the universe a God who has never for a moment lost control. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's not walking around the throne, wringing his hands with a worried look on his face. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And the biggest problem he's got are his children, not the terrorists. So I, I just want to outline to you some things that fly in the face of a great deal of American Christianity. There's a segment, and I, not necessarily a group, it is just a segment that supposes God owes us the good times we're having. And God loving us as He does would not allow us to ever get in trouble like other nations. And if we had enough faith, if we have enough faith, we can, we can keep it so that we can live like we do, pursuing the American dream for the rest of our days on the earth. Excuse me, that is not true. <clears throat> Much of the greatest history of Christianity took place in times of deep trouble. The church was established when the people who were a part of it lived in occupied territory, they could not live their lives as their own, and they were in constant trouble. Yet it's amazing to me how little Jesus talked of those problems. He never went on a tirade against the occupying government, which is clearly not of God. He just focused on His power in them, and they changed the world with a level of power generally not experienced when things are going well for the church. Are you hearing me? So I, I just sort of want to minister to you who hurt. It's all right to hurt. It's productive in the midst of pain. Oh, I'm for praying. I, I, I want to stay well. In fact, I'll tell you the truth, I'd rather, I'd rather stay well than get sick and get healed. I vote for health. It's better than healing. So I'm, I'm glad to tell you God's healing me, and I'd like for Him to keep on doing that. But we'll just talk about some things about it. 
uh, where's all this trouble coming from? Where is the shaking originating? If it's the enemy, then God is doing an end run around divine providence. I got some good news for you and bad news, and since I never like to end on the bad news, I'll tell you some incorrigibly good news. The bad news is that the devil can't do anything that God doesn't give him permission to do. The bad news is he seems to have gotten almost unlimited permission. But the good news, nothing the devil does goes past the border of God's sovereign providence. And God can use it to enrich you. So rejoice if you're in the worst problem you've ever had. The best blessing is going to come out of it within the context of your ready obedience and continued praise. Hallelujah. So who's doing the shaking? Somebody tell me quickly and we can get on. God. Well, it looks like the devil's doing it to me. I know, but God, for some reason, in his providence, lets the devil live when he could wipe him out in a split second. So everything the devil does, God can use to glorify himself within the context of your faith in him. And so, hey, I feel sorry for the devil. I mean, he does the best he can for centuries and winds up and looks back on what he did and he unwittingly cooperated with the providence of God and is kicking himself all over hell. I mean, you ought to think about it a little bit. He, he tried to get the, the one who was to deliver, deliver Israel and, and he moved in the heart of old Pharaoh to kill all the boy babies and thousands of boy babies died and here came Moses and uh, through the providence of God lived in the palace, grew up under the devil's nose, and the devil wound up paying the diaper bill, the milk bill, the babysitting bill, and there he was, and the devil missed him every time. Same thing when Jesus came. I got thinking about the devil one day and almost prayed for him. Oh, God. If anybody in the universe needs encouragement, he does. I mean, not only does he fail, Everything he does glorifies God in the end. You'd be frustrated too. By the way, I didn't pray for him. He gets what he deserves. Okay, it's God. Say it with me. It's God. It's God. It may, may have come through the devil. It may have come through the worst person you know. But when it got to you, it had already been through God and he stamped his okay on it. And you can praise him in the midst of it. Okay, what's it about? It's, about? it's about Word. It's about God's Word. There is in the, in the atmosphere... Did I get away from that and this one's not on? Whoa. Huh. Thought I had it on. Uh, well, I'll stay home. God is speaking. So is the enemy. Human ideas, human rhetoric, the wisdom of man, godless, is in a struggle with the wisdom and voice of God. There is a conflict 
everywhere you go. And there's a conflict. The more you put any stock in what this world has to say to you and walk by its standards, the more conflict is inside you. If you want all the conflict outside of you, determined to believe God's Word, God's revelation, your walk with God, you'll have a war, but it'll be outside you where it belongs, not in you. And if you want a life without conflict on the inside, then you will have to settle that you are born again into the kingdom of God to be His totally without any, any possibility of ever standing against Him in your will. You are in the kingdom. It is His way or the highway, and that's the best highway. And uh, God is speaking, men are speaking, and there is conflict. And God said, if you didn't get by with it when I spoke before, you'll certainly not get, a, get by with it when I speak now. And my speaking is causing a, a cosmic conflict. I don't have any idea. I'm sure uh, some of the prophets are going to pick this up. But Saturn is having the biggest storm. The, the scientists are absolutely amazed. Could it be that God is speaking galactically? That God's the sound of God's voice and His purpose for the world is being sounded through the cosmos? I'm sure He is. But I'm here, and that's all I'm really concerned about for the moment. What's it about? The Word. It is a word conflict. I'm speaking, and I'm shaking things that are not word-based. Let's go to the purpose right quick, and then we'll wind up with what we're going to do about it. <clears throat> you know, there lived a tribe a long time ago named the tribe of Issachar, Issachar, as you will. And it says of them in First Chronicles 12, 32, the sons of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. God give us sons of Issachar today. We need certain sounds. In the, midst, in the midst of so many sounds. Purpose, clearly. I'm going to shake the earth once more, signifying the removing of everything that can be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Number one, the reason for the shaking is to expose what is shakable so we won't trust in it. Are you trusting in the Social Security? Lord, I hope not. If I were young, I'd be rather concerned. Are you trusting in, uh, in your investment portfolio? Are you trusting in the American way? Are you trusting? Hey, listen, a whole lot could happen in a day or so, and, and, and you wouldn't have any Medicare, and you wouldn't have any Social Security, and you wouldn't have any promise of such, and, and every retirement program may go down to nothing. I mean, that could happen. What would we do? Well, again, God said, I'm going to expose everything that's shakable so that what cannot be shaken may remain. He's going to exalt that which cannot be shaken. Now, we have one little issue here, and it's very important. Getting into, getting on, getting it behind us, that which cannot be shaken. That which cannot be shaken. Would you let me read the rest of it to you? says, therefore, I was sure glad of that, because I was wondering what it was that was unshakable in the midst of so many things being shaken. Therefore, 
receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this is what issues out of it. Giving thanks or being gracious. Worshiping God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I, I think the most important thing is to realize what's happening, the purpose of it, who's causing it, and what to do about it. And that's what I want to wind up on. Right now, you're doing something about what you're going through. Let me say it again. You are doing something about what you are going through. You're complaining. Or you're going to a counselor. No, I'm not opposed to that. You're going to the bank. You're cussing the government. You're fussing at the wife. And you're mad at the husband. Those are things that we do. We're just prone to do them when we don't understand what's going on. I'm shaking the earth. I'm speaking. I'm, I'm shaking to the extent that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And your determination right now, whatever happens in this conference, whatever happens in these days, I want to go with a singular commitment to that which can never be shaken. This, this may shock you what I'm about to say. There could come by this weekend, I'm not saying there will, but if we could imagine such, if there came to this country, if we were invaded, if we were taken over, if a godless ruler took us over and determined to wipe everything that looked like, sounded like, smelled like the cause of God and destroyed every church building and destroyed every conference center and shredded every Bible and destroyed all literature that had anything to do with God and killed all the preachers and closed all the educational institutions. Listen to me. The church that Jesus is building would still be intact. And the kingdom of God would be undented. You better get a hold of something that can't be shaken. Receiving a kingdom. Wish I could talk hours about that. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. What does it mean? You get the kingdom virus. You let the kingdom catch you. You read all the red stuff. There's nothing righter than red. Read all the red stuff about the kingdom. Open your New Testament and read what Jesus talked about it all through his ministry. Every kingdom, every parable, a kingdom parable, every prayer, a kingdom prayer, every lesson, a kingdom lesson. And the long sermon on the mount was a kingdom manifesto, what the kingdom would look like when it came out of the lives and was expressed in the lives of God's people. The kingdom is indestructible. The kingdom is eternal. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken will establish what your, what your psychiatrist says you have to have, a sense of belonging, a sense of significance, and a sense of security. You can't find those anywhere else but in the rule of God in His universal realm everywhere. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us do what? Thank God. Are you in a thankful mode?
Y'all stay in it. Never get out of it. Quit your griping. Stop your belly aching. It's not good for you. You weren't made for that. You were made to praise God. You have a body made to praise God. Sickness comes when it's not treated as it ought or when things enter it that are not kingdom. It breaks down. Your whole psyche breaks down when you do not consider that there is a rule, there is a ruling God over the affairs of men who sets over it whomsoever he will, even the basest of men, and you might ought to get ready for that. It may be, it may be about to happen politically. Don't you hang back and fuss with all the other people. I live among the old people. I, I am one of them every once in a while, ashamed of it. But uh, I, I go to the restaurant and I sit next to four or five couples who have, seem to have a gripe du jour. I mean, they're griping about something all the time. Stop your griping. It makes you lose sight of God. Receive a kingdom. Well, when do you do that? All the time. You live in receptivity, constant receptivity to the fact that there is a God who rules in the affairs of men. He is your God, your king, your father, and uh, you can only make it well when you act like it and worship God. I'm always glad to come to this meeting because worship is good. People dancing, people raising their hands. We didn't have that in our church. Only time you raise your hands is when you need to go to the restroom. We, we, uh, we just didn't do it. We, it wasn't the thing to do. And uh, there's a revival of worship all over the earth right now. The tabernacle of David is being constructed. Davidic praise will fill the earth. You know where they're having more trouble than anywhere else in the world with it? In America. Where they are discovering it, they use it as a church growth method. And yesterday's praises, whether they're, whether they're right or not, are today's traditions. And we can lose God right in the midst of the exercise of worship. We can lose God in the choruses just as we lost God in the hymns. We must recover God and we must discover, rediscover the kingdom. So uh, give thanks and worship God. And by the way, I don't know how long you're in church every week, but there are 150-some, 160-some other hours. What do you do during those? If I visited your house, would I know you had a ruling God over that house? You ought to be praising Him. You ought to be thanking Him. You ought to be playing religious music. If you can't sing a note, the, the, the cockroaches don't mind it. The mice don't, are not bothered by it. Praise the Lord. Just praise Him out loud. If you're embarrassed to do it in public, get in your car, roll up the windows, turn on the air conditioning, and shout right in the, at the red light. Praise Him all the time. Worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Look at me and I close with this. This is a test. You say, what? What you're in? Well, I'm not in any. Oh, yes, you're in something. It may be a time of absolute plenty. It's a test. It may be a time when you're more desperate and more desperate about yourself personally than you've been in a long time, if ever. And you wonder what in the world you're going to do about it. This is a test. 
tell you about God's tests. Number one, everybody takes them. You can't clip out on God's tests. Okay? I wish I could just get to the place where I didn't need to take tests. Well, you'd have to get somewhere besides the kingdom. Because God is in the business of kingdomizing us. And He wants to get us ready for what He has ready for us. And He's got a fur piece to go. So He's not going to leave you alone. So everybody's going to take them. Everybody's taking them, so don't feel like the Lone Ranger and have a little pity party on your own. Another thing you need to know is you never fail God's tests. You just keep taking them till you pass. <laughs> How many of you find yourself in the midst of one you've taken before? Could I make a suggestion? Pass it. Well, how? Just praise God and ask Jesus how he made it through all his. And in you, he'll probably make it. And you'll pass your test. And then you need to know that the next thing that will happen is you get a promotion. Promotions come after tests. And if you like that so much, I'll tell you the next thing that's going to happen. You'll get a bigger test, the biggest one you ever had. And the more you pass, the more you get, and the more you grow, and the more you know. So what's the deal? Hallelujah for the shaking. I've had more shaking in my life the past five years than I ever thought anybody could have. I told God in the midst of an impossible situation, 14 days of night in Tahiti while my wife lay dying, I said, God, you'd have to hire a team of fiction writers to reproduce this story I'm living out. What is the deal? God wasn't bothered. In fact, I heard him say the most remarkable thing. As I made my walk, probably 75 to 90 miles in uh, 12, 14 days, from the hotel to the hospital, hospital back to the hotel, I heard God say, son, you're not having much fun, are you? I said, what kind of question is that? You know I'm not having fun. And I don't think this was the devil. I think it was God. The way he said it and the way I felt about what he said. He said, son, I've never had as much fun with you as I'm having right now. I said, my Lord, what do you mean? He said, you've never been uh, leaning as heavily on me as you are right now. You've never read my word or talked to me as much as you're talking to me now. You've never seen me as your only hope, only hope, as you are seeing me right now. And I love it. May I pray? just 30 seconds to a minute with all of those who are going through something and with all your heart you want to shift into the proper position with God of praise, thanksgiving, worship and receiving His kingship. 
I just want to pray with you. Don't think it'll hurt you. Think it'll help you a whole lot. I'm going through something. I need prayer. I need God's proper perspective. Will you pray for me? Stand up immediately, and I will happily. Not everybody. Don't everybody stand up. Lord, there is not one issue, not one single issue, not one feeling, not one episode, not one event that is not crystal clear to you in the lives of these hundreds who are standing. And I pray right now that peace will flood them as never before in the knowledge that our God reigns. He reigns over every facet of what I'm going through. He has approved, even though it may be the result of my own failure, He has approved where I stand right now, and I am His and He is mine. Lord, bring them into a proper position with You. May the peace of God flood their hearts. Sanctify them, O Lord. May the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called us, who will also do it. Would you, Lord, just surround them right now with an aura of absolute peace. Let them hear you whisper in their hearts, Son, daughter, it's going to be okay. I bless you now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And the thing to do at this point is say, I'll take it. Say it again. I'll take it. It's yours. God bless you.